Hello and welcome to the Basement Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Castor, here with my co-host, Ed Birdsall. Mr. Birdsall, how you doing? This is it. This is the day before the actual NFL draft. Mr. Castor, it is, it is just a pleasure to be here. This is the last podcast that you will, you and I will be doing uh, together before the uh, the NFL draft. We're going to have a... Uh, a bold prediction podcast uh, tomorrow. I'm going to be bringing on a special guest for that one, so definitely be on the lookout for that. That podcast will be up Thursday morning, so definitely check out your inbox and make sure that you uh, get all of the NFL draft coverage that you want on the day of the draft. But for now, here we are, part three of our mock draft. Hopefully everyone is safe. Hopefully everyone is healthy. Hopefully everyone is still continuing to practice social distancing, self-quarantine. And uh, yeah, Adam. The great thing about the NFL draft, especially this year, is that it is the oasis of the, the oasis in the desert that is the sports landscape of 2020. That, as simple as that, to, uh, to coin a metaphor. Oasis or the arid desert that is the sports land of 2020? No, no, no. The the NFL draft is the oasis. Oh, yes, in the yes, desert. yes, yes, yes. In the draft. Uh, Adam, I see the, 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 the comparison that you were trying to make. I, the illusion? The illusion, yes. That was the A word I was looking for. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm pretty fond of my SAT words sometimes. I, I, I can see that. I can see that you are just a Rhodes Scholar when it comes to SAT words. Right, exactly. And what was your, what was your score on the there. SAT there, uh, there, smartass? Well, actually, I took oh. the ACTs. <gasps> Ooh, very, very smarty pants. What'd you get in the ACT? I think I got a 27. That's, 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 that's pretty solid. Yeah, although my friend, he was like, I took this thing cold and I got a 35. And I felt real, real shit after that. Yeah, I bet <laughs> you felt pretty damn stupid. I was like, really? Jesus. Okay, and, you, and, and, and you're you're a smart guy. I'll gi- I'll give you uh, I'll give you that credit. Yeah. I mean, but, wow, yeah. thirty five, and he took it cold. Yikes! Yikes, indeed. I mean, good for him. Whatever. Anyway, so that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about standardized tests. That is far past us. So far past us. Hey, stop making me feel old, okay? I mean, it's been you, five years. You watch your mouth. It's been five years since I graduated high school, and I think it's been six, I guess, since you graduated high school. Adam, so. stop talking. Okay, okay, fine. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> all right, all right. I'm just feeling like an old bastard right now, but but please con- continue your spiel. Continue your spiel. You are a you are a true radio professional, so please go ahead. Go go ahead. I concede. Well, before we do our mock draft we're going to go into some news and notes and the first thing since you know we covered all the other uniform unveilings that have happened this spring we're talking about two more that happened on monday and tuesday and that is the new england patriots who tweaked their uniform they basically made their color rush uniform the primary uniform and they added a new white jersey that is basically a white jersey variant of their color rush uniform which is kind of nice, and now they and they got rid of uh, silver pants, so now it's only blue pants, 
only like the, I don't know if it's like, I guess it's navy blue still. Interesting call though by the Patriots. Interesting, interesting call. I didn't, I really didn't know that they changed, uh, they changed their uniforms until you just told me. So, well, you know, I, there's this guy, uh, Paul Lucas, who used to, used to work for ESPN and mm-hmm. he's like, he was their uniform beat writer <laughs> more or less. So I, like, it's I, thing can't, that I can't believe they have one of those. Yeah. It's crazy. He was able to make a niche for himself. It's like all the advice that you that you get when you go to journalism school where they tell you to find your own thing that you're really good at and people will will read it. That's basically what he did. He took it to heart. Well, God bless him. Yeah. So I follow him on Twitter. He doesn't work for ESPN anymore, but he has his own blog and like he retweets all the stuff that teams uh, talk about, you know, whenever like soccer kits get leaked, which happens all the time. You know, Man, Man United, Man City, uh, PSG, Barcelona, their kits all got leaked for next year. So it, it's interesting. But anyway, back to New England, it's, it's I don't know, it's like a meh sort of uniform. I mean, it's better than the old one, but not really by much. It's not like a full-on, I feel like they should have kind of leaned into it if they were going to go and change the uniforms. Go, go ahead and change the logo change the helmet if they're really going to do that but uh i, I don't know i don't know what do you what do you think bird the the patriot the patriots ones are there they're slight changes i mean they're nice they're nice the chargers ones however oh the chargers ones are amazing they are very 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 pretty they are oh they are real nice they are real 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 nice well they're very old school very much like you know they wore these uniforms in some form or fashion as a throwback to their AFL days. This with is the true. Numbers on the side of the helmet and the gold pants. So this is kind of, I mean, it makes sense. You know, I I would assume that these are the uniforms that the Chargers wore when they spent their one season in Los Angeles before 2017. Yeah. Well, I mean, I I personally, I we. Uh... When we first saw the jerseys, I immediately uh, signaled out the uh, the navy blue jerseys. I thought th- those were uh, those were personally my favorite. Yeah, those are pretty pretty solid. I don't know. I like the royal blue ones, which is basically like the same. I think it's the same sort of ones that they had before. But uh, though that could, that shade of blue is really nice. I mean, I guess it probably because it reminds me of the Rangers blue. True, and we and we do love the New York Rangers. Yeah. We're both we're both avid fans, but I mean that 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 particular shade is pretty nice. Well, look at us talking about fashion. Yeah, there there there's something strangely ironic about that, there, Mister Caster. Well, we're definitely fishing for content. We're we're just fashionistas. We could start a whole podcast talking about our overall fashion sense. Uh, uh that would probably have negative five subscribers. <laughs> we'd find a way to do the impossible. We would we would find a way. Yes, we would. Honestly, sometimes I barely feel qualified to talk about football. There's no way that I feel qualified to talk about fashion. <laughs> yeah, that is de- that that is one that is definitely out of my pay grade. I would say. Right. Let's move on to actual sports that are going on. You know, football, not just not just the fashion, but the players. The as we talked about the NFL draft, the first round of the NFL draft is tomorrow thursday and there has been a bit of controversy with in the top 10 
one of the four offensive tackles that's going that has been getting all the coverage. Mekhi Becton has, uh, I believe, Bird, you said was a diluted sample. You Correct. More Correct. in depth on that. So basically, when uh, all these prospects have to go through the drug test process, drug testing process, as every other professional footballer has to do through various points of the season. And it's no different for these potential rookies. And they uh, have to give, of course, urine samples that they uh, have to do before, of course, the draft starts, one final test. And there were a couple of prospects that had flagged tests. And one of those prospects was uh, Mekhi Becton, the, of course, uh, offensive tackle prospect out of Louisville, who is right now projected to be a top 10 pick. Adam and I both have him. At number 10 in our mock drafts, both of us have him going to the Cleveland Browns. Um, we will talk more about our mock drafts in just a little bit. But um, it's it's not a negative test, or it's not, excuse me, it's it's not a positive test, which is something that is important to, to point out. You know, that he is not tested positive for a potential drug violation. It just was flagged as potentially diluted. And, of course, that gives teams a little bit of a red flag but um, Mekhi Becton and his agent have really done their rounds in terms of you know trying to convince teams that he does not you know not he's not doing any sort of drugs or, any, or anything like that and what's interesting about the whole process this year is this is the first year that with potential drug tests and, and, and things like that that marijuana now is not incorporated into any of that because the league is no longer going to punish those who have tested positive for uh, marijuana in their system for a drug test. It's it's perfectly fine. So it, it, it's, it's, it's more than that. If it is a positive test, it is not. So that is good news for, for Becton. But he may take a little bit of a, of a dive on, on this one just because of the uncertainty with him. And, and this is like the time where every single team – is really trying to zero in on their guys, and they want to make sure that they have the safest pick imaginable. So this question mark that's hanging over Mackay Beckton a little bit may push him down, but I don't think it's really going to push him too far down just because you have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who desperately need to get some offensive line help. So I think if Beckton does fall past Cleveland at 10 and he, he does not go there, uh, he'll probably make it to 14, given the Jets, Raiders, and 49ers at 11, 12, and 13 all do not necessarily need to be going offensive line, with the exception of the New York Jets, who could, in fact, take him. So he could go at 11. He could go at 14. We will see. Right. And I think a lot of the time, when you're thinking of the NFL draft, a lot of teams, I mean, not all of them. I don't want to put put them all in the in a pigeonhole here. But a lot of teams are gonna are looking for reasons to say no, to draft a player, because they they want the safest pick. If you can't find a reason to say no, then draft the player. Like that, that's it. And I think one of the questions I kind of have is this more like, you know how they use how they now test for masking for common masking agents for for drugs. It, I mean, God forbid it's steroids. But or HGH, where I guess they weren't clear on what uh, what specifically he tested positive for. Or no, not te- or it, well, it wasn't it wasn't a positive test. It was just a, a diluted sample, and that could mean 
that could mean anything. Yeah, a diluted sample can mean absolutely anything. So um, it's not it's not a positive test. He's not in any legal trouble or anything like that. It, it's just a red, a red flag that teams just are going to be a bit more cautious on now in terms of, you know, when they evaluate Mekhi Becton. And there's just a little bit more to do in terms of homework and, and things like that. And next thing that we're going to talk about, it's kind of like a red herring of a news story, a clickbait e sort of thing, is that the Giants are meeting with Justin Herbert, the quarterback prospect out of Oregon. And honestly, this is like textbook. You know, you want to do your due diligence on this prospect, especially if teams are going to be looking to trade up to draft him. You can look at teams like the Chargers who could be looking up looking to draft to trade up to draft him teams like the Jaguars that could be looking to draft him who knows there could be wild card teams there that could be not literally obviously that uh, could be looking to draft or trade up to draft Justin Herbert so the Giants really are just trying to see what what's there for him so they can better appraise any offer that they get for Justin Herbert and say, oh, well, you know, this guy is actually really good. Like, he really impressed us in, in his interview. We think that you should give up a little bit more for him. Yeah, like that sort of thing. I mean, would you agree with that uh, yep. sentiment? Yep. I agree with everything you just said, Adam. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it would be a real shock if the Giants go ahead and take Herbert. That would be a uh, big yikes. Big yikes if they uh, go ahead and do that. But, um, yeah, I think this is just a case of the Giants doing their due diligence on Herbert in case they do decide to go ahead and shop the uh, number four pick uh, in this draft. So, uh, yeah, there's not much of a real story here. It will only become a story if the Giants do go ahead and take Herbert. That would be... The world may melt around us. Well, crazier things have happened in the NFL draft. Yeah, Kyler Murray going into Arizona replacing Josh Rosen. I think anybody, anybody saw that coming after year one. Yeah, no, we we definitely didn't. We when we talked about the uh, 2019 draft, we were just. I think when we started, we were like, "No, nah, there's no way this is gonna happen." And then when we got to the mock draft, we were like, "Fuck, this is actually gonna happen, isn't it? They're really gonna do this." Yeah, and that, yeah, that's basically how it went. It basic it basically went the entire draft process. Everyone just pre-draft process. Everyone sort of thought that it was going to be Nick Bosa. And then, of course, when the audio video clip came out of Cliff Kingsbury saying that if it were up to him, he would take Kyler Murray number one overall, and that kind of got the uh, the gears going on that. And then from there on out, it was uh, the Kyler Murray train really, uh, really started to roll. And I don't think it was a matter of Kyler Murray being the better prospect than Nick Bosa. I think it was just more of uh, Cliff Kingsbury's wanted his own guy and didn't believe in Josh Rosen so much. But that's another conversation for another day. It sure is. It sure is. And the last thing really we're going to talk about for news and notes was actually the big story of Tuesday night. And that is Rob Gronkowski coming back to the NFL and reuniting with Tom Brady in Tampa Bay. And this this doesn't shock me in the sense that the only way that Gronk would ever come back is if he play if he's playing with Tom Brady. But also it does kind of shock me that Gronk would come back, period. Because this is a person that seemed like he was really making us like a second career for himself 
in wrestling. Like he was doing pretty well in wrestling. So I'm kind of shocked that he would come back to the NFL. Like what else does Gronk have to prove? Not much. I, I think if anything, if anything, he just wants to uh, get a spot for himself on arguably America's hottest team right now with the Bucks, And of course he gets to go in and play with uh, TB12 again in, uh, in Tampa Brady. So, uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, from 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 a fantasy perspective, because never to really talk about fantasy. Um, I mean, what do I really expect out of Gronk? I mean, I don't think he's a thousand yard tight end. I mean, I think that he he's going to have to share targets with Mike Evans. He's got to share targets with Chris Godwin. He's going to have to share targets with one of those two tight ends because I do expect that one of them is going to be dealt. I would say odds are. It is going to be O.J. Howard that's dealt just because Cameron Brait is really locked in there. Uh, so no one is going to be really taking that huge contract of Cameron Brait. So, um, I mean... Well, the rumor mill was spinning kinda, a couple I, weeks ago for O.J. Howard. Right. It, it, I mean, I mean, there are a couple spots where I think O.J. Howard can, can go. I mean, Cincinnati could be a good spot for him after they go and get Joe Burrow because Joe Burrow really... Uh, did enjoy throwing to uh, the tight ends that he had at LSU last year. Uh, the Packers, maybe. Uh, the Colts is an, is an interesting one as well because you know how much the you know how much the Colts love you know running those uh, two tight end routes and having those big athletic tight ends, namely when Eric Ebron and Jack Doyle were uh, patrolling the middle of the field for the Colts. Now it's just Jack Doyle, so they can get OJ Howard in there. That could be an interesting fit. In Indianapolis, but you know, and in terms of what I expect from Gronk, um, I, I think if he's healthy, which is we don't know, you know, how, what his health status really is, I think he could be a six, seven hundred yard tight end with seven to eight touchdowns. I don't think it's out of the question. So I think you're basically, if you're talking fantasy, I think you're calling him like a mid tight end one yeah i my thing is i would be afraid to start him within the first four weeks because that because gronk's gonna be rusty I mean, let's be real here or the inverse of that is that rob gronkowski comes back and connects with tom brady like he never left and everyone's saying up oh, okay rob gronkowski is uh is back in the nfl that's true i mean you want to be a contrarian about it i potentially, guess potentially just, but you know, but you never know. Just a theory. The these things can be volatile. You you never know until you you play the games. Exactly. It should be interesting to see where OJ Howard lands because he's definitely going to be the odd man out, a la Royce Freeman in Denver. It's it's the same sort of situation there, but with different positions. And honestly, your pick of Cincinnati, it's is a pretty solid landing spot. You know how how much uh, young quarterbacks love their tight ends. And having a tight end like O.J. Howard in that offense is pretty solid, especially since the Bengals haven't really had great tight end production because Tyler Eifert is always injured. Yeah. And, yeah, they've basically been playing with backup tight ends and third-string tight ends. C.J. Uzama. Yeah. So, yeah. Moving on to the main th- the main topic of conversation here, and that is our mock draft, our 2020 mock draft of the first round. And this is going to be picks 22 to 32 
that's going from the Vikings all the way to the Chiefs. And before we start that, let's go over who we've picked so far. So I'll go first. Uh, the Bengals at number one, picking Joe Burrow, quarterback out of LSU. At number two, Washington, picking Chase Young, edge rusher from Ohio State. At number three, the Lions, picking Jeff Okuda, cornerback from Ohio State. At number four, I have the Giants picking Isaiah Simmons, the hybrid linebacker safety from Clemson. At number five, I have the Dolphins picking Tua Tagovailoa, quarterback from Alabama. At number six, I have the Chargers taking Justin Herbert, quarterback from Oregon. Number seven, I have the Panthers taking Derek Brown, that defensive tackle from Auburn. At number eight, I have the Cardinals taking Tristan Wirfs, the offensive tackle from Iowa. At number nine, the Jaguars, I have them taking Jerry Judy, wide receiver from Alabama. At number 10, I have the Browns taking Mekhi Becton, offensive tackle from Louisville, subject to change, of course. At number 11, I have the New York Jets taking Andrew Thomas, offensive tackle from Georgia. At number 12, I have the Raiders taking CeeDee Lamb, wide receiver from Oklahoma. At number 13, I have the 49ers taking Henry Ruggs III, wide receiver from Alabama. Number 14, I have the Bucks taking Judrick Wills Jr., offensive tackle from Alabama. At number 15, I have the Broncos taking Justin Jefferson, wide receiver from LSU. Number 16, I have the Falcons taking Javon Kinlaw, defense tackle from South Carolina. 17, I have the Cowboys taking C.J. Henderson, cornerback from Florida. 18, I have the Dolphins taking Xavier McKinney, safety from Alabama. 19, I have the Raiders taking Antoine Winfield Jr., corner from Minnesota. At number 20, I have the Jaguars taking Josh Jones, offensive tackle from Houston. And at 21, I have the Philadelphia Eagles picking Patrick Queen, inside linebacker from LSU. What about your draft? That was very well done there, Mr. Caster. Not one tongue twister. Not one. It's like I've practiced this. I think you have. I think you have some experience in this field. So number one, I have the Bengals going with Joe Burrow out of, of course, the aforementioned LSU. Number two, the Redskins. I have them going with Chase Young out of the Ohio State. Number three, the Detroit Lions. I have them going with corner Jeff Okuda out of the Ohio State. Number four, I have the Giants going with Tristan Wirfs, tackle out of Iowa. Number five, I have the Dolphins going with Justin Herbert, quarterback out of Oregon. Number six, I have the Los Angeles Chargers going with Tua Tagovailoa, quarterback out of the University of Alabama. Number seven, I have the Carolina Panthers taking linebacker safety hybrid Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson. Number eight, I have the Arizona Cardinals taking Jedrick Wills Jr., offensive tackle out of the University of Alabama. Number nine, I have the Jacksonville Jaguars taking Derek Brown, defensive tackle out of Auburn. Number 10, I have the Cleveland Browns taking Mekhi Becton, the offensive tackle out of Louisville. Subject to change. Thank you, Mr. Caster. Number 11, I have the New York Football Jets taking wide receiver C.D. Lamb out of the University of Oklahoma. Number 12, I have the Las Vegas Raiders taking wide receiver Jerry Judy out of the University of Alabama. Number 13, I have the San Francisco 49ers, this pick originally owned by the Indianapolis Colts. Selecting Henry Ruggs III, wide receiver out of Alabama. Number 14, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers taking offensive tackle Andrew Thomas out of Georgia. 
Number 15, the Denver Broncos. I have them selecting corner C.J. Henderson out of the University of Florida. Sko Gators. Number 16, the Atlanta Falcons. I have them taking Javon Kinlaw, the defensive tackle out of South Carolina. Number 17, the Dallas Cowboys. America's team, the most popular team in the sport. I have them going with edge rusher Caleb on Chason out of LSU. Number eight, the Miami Dolphins. I have them taking Xavier McKinney safety from Alabama to replace Minka Fitzpatrick, who they traded to the Pittsburgh Steelers for their first round pick. And that is how they have this first round pick. Number 19, the Las Vegas Raiders. I have them taking AJ Terrell corner out of Clemson. This pick originally belonged to the Chicago Bears which the Las Vegas Raiders acquired in the Khalil Mack trade. Number 20, I have the Jacksonville Jaguars taking corner Christian Fulton out of LSU, originally the Rams selection, which they traded to the Jaguars in the Jalen Ramsey trade. 21, I have the Philadelphia Eagles taking wide receiver Justin Jefferson out of LSU. And that is my first... 21 picks of the mock you know the reason why i didn't have any tongue twisters is because i didn't say that the uh cities that the teams were from because i know for a fact i would have said oakland raiders for the number 12 and number 19 picks i had to catch myself the first time at 12 i had to catch myself from saying the oakland raiders i mean we've been talking about this for well we talked about this since the uh, Chargers moved from San Diego that we have to kind of really, ha- we have to get the retrain our muscle memory to try and say these new uh, team names, but just Las Vegas Raiders doesn't sound right, but that's an epi- That's a discussion for another podcast. Yes, indeed. Let's get, that's another, that's another podcast entirely. That you spend like two hours talking about that. This is correct. So, Moving on, now that we're all up to speed here, we can talk about the 22nd overall pick. And at 22, I have the Minnesota Vikings picking Brandon Ayuk, wide receiver out of Arizona State University, the Sun Devil. And he is coming in as the replacement for Stefan Diggs. I mean, this is the kind of receiver that doesn't need to be the guy like contrary to the other top receivers that are going in the first round like jerry judy cd lamb henry oaks the third justin jefferson he doesn't need to be the guy because adam thielen is already there he adam thielen now is the number one for the minnesota vikings so uh brandon Ayuk can really come in there and be a nice piece for the vikings offense and if he succeeds in that offense, that takes a lot of heat off of Adam Thielen and uh, re- and can really open up the the offense for the Minnesota Vikings. So who do you have the Vikings taking for their first of two first-round picks? So with the Vikings' first pick, I have them going with T. Higgins, the wide receiver out of Clemson. 6'4", 216 pounds, a very tall receiver, which immediately would be a nice plug-and-play option on the outside for the Minnesota Vikings. And the one thing that I really liked about uh, T. Higgins is that he can play all three receiver positions. He can play on the left side, he can play on the right side, 
and he can operate out of the slot if need be. Granted, he won't have to do much of that with Adam Thielen operating in there for the Minnesota Vikings. Another thing I liked about T. Higgins on film is when that ball is up in the air, I believe that he was probably the most instinctive receiver that I saw in terms of knowing how to use his hands and really get his hands in a good in a good spot, in good position to be able to make the catch and come down with the ball and then try and figure out how to advance it some more after the catch has been already made. He has rare instincts in terms of when that ball goes up. He can definitely make something happen, and that is something that I think the Minnesota Vikings absolutely need. They need another pass catcher in that offense to really take the pressure off of Kirk Cousins and not have to rely so much on Dalvin Cook as well in the running game because you can't really hand the ball off 25, 30 times to Dalvin Cook every single week and then sprinkle in five, six catches here and there and expect Dalvin Cook to be healthy the entire the entire season. It's not going to happen. He's going to burn out at some point. So T. Higgins will go in there, and I think he would be a nice reprieve, and he would be another weapon that Kirk Cousins can add, can can definitely learn to utilize, I should say, in uh, in that Minnesota offense, which absolutely has a void now that Stephon Diggs is in Buffalo playing with Josh Allen. Well, I wouldn't want to be the one to tell Mike Zimmer that he can't run the ball 20 to 25 times a game with Dalvin Cook. Yeah, no, me me neither. I mean, I think I think T Higgins can be a really a really solid starter in this league. I I don't really he can be a pro bowl receiver, but um I I believe that he can be at least his floor is a very very solid wide receiver. I actually have his comparison um in terms of how I feel about Higgins and and the kind of uh, receiver that he can be. I actually have him compared to A.J. Green. I think he he can be that kind of receiver. But his floor, I would say, he's, is, he's a definite starting wide receiver in the National Football League for the next 10 to 15 years. Well, I, for a first-round pick, that's what you'll have to ask for. Yes, he's, he's a very, very safe prospect. He's actually one of the safer prospects, I think, uh, in the draft. But he just doesn't have that explosive ability that a C.D. Lamb does, that a Jerry Judy does, or Henry Ruggs does. But he's very, very, very safe. Okay. So at number 23, I have the New England Patriots picking A.J. Epineza, the defensive end from Iowa, or edge rusher, however you may call him. This is definitely a Patriots pick. He's a guy that has high effort, high motor. There, There is an opening at defensive end slash edge rusher with the departure of Kyle Van Noy. This has kind of been a running theme over the past couple of free agencies where the Patriots have basically just lost their top edge rushing talent and somehow, some way, they fill it with the with whoever they may find, whether it be on the team already or otherwise. So AJ Epineza is the kind of player that can really fit into Bill Belichick's system. And he could become somebody like a Dante Hightower, Kyle Van Noy, or even Chandler Jones, where he can be another successful graduate from the New England Patriots organization. So I also have uh, A.J. Epinesa going to the New England Patriots here. I think the one thing that I like about him is he's a high motor sort of player. And that is what the Patriots really are looking for. These guys that have high motors that are low floor, that you know what you're going to get out of 
these picks. And Epinesa is that he can play end in a 4-3 or a 3-4. So he offers scheme versatility, which we know that Bill Belichick absolutely loves. Uh, he's very, very powerful. He's very, very big as well. 6'5", 275 pounds. So a very, very large man. Uh, his real issue, though, is he just lacks that burst and that speed coming off of the edge. But where he gets you is his overall power. He is a power rusher through and through. He's not going to wow anybody with his speed. But at the end of the day, he is going to wow you with his effort. He's going to wow you with his motor. And he's going to do the job for the New England Patriots in this spot. And I think through, through his career, he's probably looking at a very solid foundational piece for defense. I'm not going to say he's going to be a pro bowler or a Hall of Famer kind of player, but can he be a guy that averages you six to eight sacks a year? Yeah, he can be that. So uh, he, he's a very safe prospect. I'm not going to say he's like he's super safe uh, in terms of there's he's flawless, but I believe that he is a safe prospect given his high motor and he's going to, in, in this case, he's going to New England where this is what they do. They breed guys that have these high, high floors and they make them into serviceable pieces until they are they are completely useless and the Patriots just move them on swiftly. That is what they do. That is what they have done for the better part of the last 20 years with Bill Belichick there. So next pick, I have the New Orleans Saints picking Kenneth Murray, the inside linebacker from Oklahoma. I love Demario Davis. I mean, as a biased New York Jets fan, how could I not love Demario Davis? He was a you are a biased New York Jets fan. It's probably one of the best things that you uh, that you do. Yeah, and frankly, he's one of the most underrated inside linebackers in the NFL today. And I think Bird, you would agree with me on that opinion. I would agree. And the tandem, the inside linebacking tandem that can be with Demario Davis and Kenneth Murray can be fearsome. You're looking at a a Saints team that does not have a lot of holes. A Saints team that clinched their division on Thanksgiving. This is not a team that is looking to fill too many holes. This is not a team that has too many uh, glaring weaknesses. And frankly, a pick like this is going to make a, a great defense that much better. So I know Adam had uh, this guy going a bit earlier in his mock draft, but this is where I have Patrick Queen going. Again, Adam hit the nail right on the head when he said the New Orleans Saints do not have a lot of holes. That is correct. And I have them going with the best available player. And in this case, it is, in fact, Patrick Queen, the linebacker out of LSU. And he follows a pretty long and healthy lineage of LSU linebackers that have come through the ranks over the course of the last few years, you look at Devin White, you look at Quan Alexander, and you look on De- and you look at Deion Jones as well, going from the Bayou to the NFL. And Patrick Queen is, of course, next in line. And one of the things that I really did see about did see with Patrick Queen on film is he was a little inconsistent at times, but where he really stood out was in the big games against Georgia in the SEC championship game and then against Oklahoma in the semifinal of the college football playoff, and then against Clemson in the championship game of the college football playoff. He was immense in those three games against really tough, really high-quality opposition, and that is what you want to see. He is fast. He is he plays at such a high level as well. Ran a 4 5 40 
at the combine just to show you how fast Patrick Queen is. The only issue with him and, and something that I have you know gotten a read on in terms of why Patrick Queen is ranked a little bit lower than some is his problem was that what a lot of people are saying at least was that he played behind a very, very strong defensive line in college. And that was part of the reason why he was so successful in, in college and why he's being talked about as a potential first-round pick. But he's going from playing behind one of the best defensive lines in college, where in this instance, he's now going to play behind one of the best defensive lines in the National Football League, behind Marcus Davenport, behind Cameron Jordan, right next to Demario Davis. So he's going from like situation to like situation. So I really don't see a problem here. I think the Saints are getting a guy that you're talking about a perennial pro bowler if he can hit his ceiling. I really, really like Patrick Queen a whole, whole lot. And I think he is a guy that is only going to add more muscle, more speed, and more power to an already really, really strong New Orleans Saints defense. So Patrick Queen, number 24, staying in the bayou with the New Orleans Saints. Well, as the kids say, where's the lie? Where is the lie? Where's the lie? There is none. Next up, we have the Minnesota Vikings yet again. This is their actual first-round pick that they earned by uh, losing to the 49ers in the divisional round at 25. And they're replacing their departed Diggs with another Diggs. Trayvon Diggs, a cornerback from Alabama, who is actually, in case you couldn't tell, he is Stephon Diggs' brother, in case their names didn't sound similar enough. And this is the kind of player that is filling a, a big hole for the Minnesota Vikings here because they lost their top, their two starting corners in, in the offseason. They cut Xavier Rhodes. And this is the kind of player, well, he's, maybe he's not the best corner on the board. Uh, I think, for at least on my board, you know, A.J. Terrell is still available out of Clemson. But I think that uh, somebody coming out of the University of Alabama who really has had so much in practice going up against one of the best wide receiving cores in the country with Henry Ruggs III and Jerry Judy, two wide receivers that are going in the top 15 of the first round. That is some good practice for the NFL. So I have the Minnesota Vikings taking another corner, but it is not Trayvon Diggs. Because when I watched Trayvon Diggs on film, I really wasn't that impressed with what I saw. It was just a matter of opinion more than anything else. I know a lot of people uh, that have Trayvon Diggs actually as one of the top three corners in this draft. But I particularly wasn't necessarily impressed. I'm t I have them taking Jalen Johnson, uh, the corner out of Utah. Six foot, 193 pounds, so a pretty decent size for a corner. Nothing, you know, really to write home about. The one thing that I really watched with Jalen Johnson on film was he's got all the physical traits and all the athletic tools that could consider him to be a first-round pick. Now, there are a lot of people that have him ranged all over the place. I know people that have him round two, round three in their in their mocks. I believe he's got all the physical ability to be a first-round pick, and I'm not saying 
that he's going to be, again, a perennial pro bowler, but he's going to a place where, listen, the Minnesota Vikings, they love their athletic, physical corners. They did it with Xavier Rhodes. When they took him, he was a physical, athletic corner, and look what he turned out to be for the peak of his career. He was a perennial pro bowler, and many calls him the best corner in the National Football League, and it wasn't really close when he was really at his high. The thing with him is his ball skills are very take it or leave it. I've seen him make some unbelievable interceptions when I studied him, and then I saw ones that hit his hands and drop. So he's got to be more consistent with his ball skills, and he also has to become more consistent with covering the deep routes. He's gotten burned on them a couple of times I saw on film where receivers just blew right by him because he wasn't ready. His feet were a little caught up at the line of scrimmage, and then he just gets burned. So he's got to work on his footwork, and he has to work on being able to track back and stay up with these bigger, faster receivers in the National Football League, especially in the NFC North where you have the likes of Allen Robinson, you have the likes of Kenny Galladay, the likes of Marvin Jones, you have the likes of Devontae Adams. Those are all receivers that like to go deep. And this is where Jalen Johnson has struggled in the past. So if he can work on that and he could be coached up, he can be a very solid corner in the National Football League for a lot of years for the Minnesota Vikings. And I have him going to Minnesota at number 25. Okay. So... Next up, we have the Miami Dolphins with their third first-round pick, which is, frankly, astonishing that they have three first-round picks. Well, good good, good on the Dolphins. They're, they're rebuilding the right way. Yeah. So with this pick, they are going offensive line here because that is where they need – that's just where they need to go here. And – I already have the Jacksonville Jaguars picking Joshua Jones. So the next best offensive tackle for the Dolphins, Austin Jackson. I believe, Bird, you told me either either off air or otherwise that you think that Joshua Jones and Austin Jackson are very similar prospects. Would that be correct? They, that is 100% correct. They're very, very similar. So I think that, I mean, Joshua Jones... I think is the more more refined prospect out of the two of them. But I think that when you're thinking of the best of it, like the best available tackle here on my board, Austin Jackson is that kind of guy. He's the kind of guy that can eventually play at both tackle positions and really if the Dolphins really are committed to build, rebuilding the right way, then offensive line is the direction that they need to go with at least one of their first-round picks. So, Adam, I do have Josh, Joshua Jones going to the Miami Dolphins in this with this pick, the offensive tackle prospect out of the University of Houston. Um, and, Adam, you, you, you hit the nail right on the head when you said that uh, Joshua Jones and Austin Jackson, the two... Uh, tackles that I have here, by the way, which I do have going back-to-back. little spoiler, I do have Austin Jackson going to the Seahawks. I'll talk more about him in a minute. But with Joshua Jones, he is a very, very raw prospect, but he's a big boy for a tackle. 6'5", 319 pounds, about 34-inch arms. So he's got that reach, which, of course, is very important 
four tackle prospects. The one thing about him is that he is very, very raw and he needs a lot of work in certain areas. His footwork is very, very sloppy. It needs needs a little bit of work there. His hand placement at times, he doesn't get his hands up quick enough at the snap. And sometimes I, when I watched him on film, it was almost like, and this is terrible radio, I apologize, but just to kind of, you know, I'm just creating a visual for you. You know, when you see some of the top tackles in the National Football League, from the word go right at the snap, their hands are up. Their hands are up right away. They're meeting. They're meeting the edge rusher. They're getting that contact in right away, and they're they're do they're doing battle right right then and there. Josh Jones and to an extent Austin Jackson as well. They don't get their hands up quick enough. It's almost like they're almost at like at like stomach height versus being up at like at their shoulders, being shoulder height when they can really generate their power and really just try and you know and block you know do what they're supposed to do. So. He's got to work on that. He's got to be more consistent. The hand placement, again, it was not perfect, but he needs to continue to work on that with wherever he goes. And if he goes to Miami, he's going to be in a perfect place where I think he can start right away. I think the main difference between Josh Jones and Austin Jackson is that Austin Jackson is more, I could see him being more of a right tackle prospect right off the rip. I don't think that he's ready to play left tackle. I think he could play a year or two at right tackle, and then you can shift him over to left. Whereas Josh Jones, I think you can start him at left tackle, let him learn the ropes because he has all the physical tools that are needed, but just needs to work on technique, technique, technique. And he really needs to really hammer that point home that he's got to get better with that. But when he does, he can be a very solid left tackle in the National Football League. But there's a lot of work to do with Josh Jones. And I really do believe, honestly, that there is such a class difference between the top four tackles in this draft and then the rest. It's actually kind of maddening that, you know, we're talking about four can't-miss tackle prospects, and then we're looking at guys that have so many flaws right after that. So, uh, but Josh Jones is my pick for the Miami Dolphins because, again, the Dolphins have to go and address offensive line in this draft. They cannot go and not take an offensive lineman with their three first round picks. They have to get one at some point. And this is where I think they get one. Well, honestly, the funny thing is when you said, when you're talking about the, the large disparity between the quality and tackles, it kind of reminds me of the 2004 quarterback draft where you had, you know, Eli Manning, Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, and then JP Lawsman. Like, seriously, the the gap is so unbelievable between it's true. those players. It's 100% true. All right. So we already know what uh, Bird's pick for the Seahawks is. But for me, uh, I, at number 27, I feel I think that the Seahawks are going to pick Caleb on Chason, the defensive end out of LSU. There were some updates a couple hours ago at time of recording couple of hours before we uh, went on that uh, John Schneider of the defa of the Seattle Seahawks they he said that they offered Jadavion Clowney a an, a contract they wanted to re-sign him but it just it just hasn't hasn't really worked out for so far so I think this is the kind of player that 
will um, kind of fill that hole, fill that need for the Seattle Seahawks. And as far as the tackles go, you know, Bird has the Seahawks picking a tackle at this pick. But, you know, looking at my board, the, the like the first round tackles are gone. So this is kind of the the pick for Seattle. This is filling another need that the Seahawks uh, definitely have. So, Bird, why don't you talk more about Austin Jackson? So if you're talking about uh, a t- another tackle to potentially be taken in this range, there are two other tackles that I have pretty closely graded. Uh, it's Isaiah Wilson out of Georgia, and then I also have Robert Hunt out of Louisiana Lafayette, but I do have both of them with day two grades. So Austin Jackson definitely concludes the uh, the tackles that I have at like a first or a second round grade. But Austin Jackson, the thing, the thing that really uh, got me and made me say, wow, because I wasn't a fan of his at first. He has good size, 6'5", 322, again, a big boy, has pretty long arms, 34 and one-eighth arms, so... Uh, pretty long arms for him as well, bigger than Josh Jones. He has to get better with technique. Again, we talked about this with Josh Jones. We're talking about this now with Austin Jackson. He has to get better with his technique. Hands, hands, hands with him. That was the one thing I saw time and time and time and time again. His footwork was a little bit messy. That can be corrected, though. It's the hands. He's got to get those hands up right off the rip, and that is the one thing that really separates Austin Jackson from really being truly one of the the better tackle prospects, maybe even potentially better than Josh Jones, is just his overall hand placement. He was caught too many times with his hands basically at his hips, and that cannot happen. The thing here, though, is that Seahawks general manager John Schneider has not kept his original first-round pick since 2012. He has traded his first-round pick in every draft since then. So you could say, Adam, this is probably a waste of a discussion talking about a player going to the Seattle Seahawks in round one. Well, at least we got to talk about Austin Jackson. Hip-hip! Hooray! But, frankly, we could have just skipped right to right to uh, the Baltimore Ravens because there is no way that the Seahawks, the Seattle Seahawks are actually going to be making this pick. We've been shocked before. We have. But think about it. It's been nine years since the Seahawks yep. made a first-round pick. Yeah, since the 2012 draft. Yeah. Here's a trivia question. Well, I don't know the answer to this, so I can't even ask it. I don't even know. who is. Well, the... maybe I know the answer to it. Well, who is it? Who is the, the last first-round pick? the Seattle Seahawks. Hmm. Well, while you do that, I'm going to go talk about the Baltimore Ravens for a second. Go ahead. At number 28, the Baltimore Ravens, I have them picking Ross Blacklock, the defensive lineman from TCU. And this is the kind of player where, you know, Ross Blacklock, he he doesn't need to change out of his uh, purple warm-up gear. He doesn't need to get rid of it. You know, it's a different shade of purple, but, you know, still. But the Baltimore Ravens, like the Saints, they don't have a lot of holes. This is a team that have one of the best offenses and defenses in football. And I believe Bird, uh, we kind of talked about it a little. I think Bird has an, has an inside linebacker going at this spot. So that could be another pick for the uh, Baltimore Ravens here. But for the defensive line defensive line is one of the few needs for the ravens but it's not it's more like a lowercase n need if you if you know what i mean where it's like 
they don't really need a uh, defensive lineman, but this is the kind of player that's that's there for them, for the taking, and, they, and I think that they're going to pick him. So, Bert, do you have the answer or trivia question? I do. Who was it? A former New York Jet. Former New York Jet. Offensive tackle. Offensive tackle. From the University of Alabama. See, the funny thing is, the more clues that you're giving me, the harder this is turning out to be. James Carpenter. James Car- He plays guard, though. He was. He came out as a tackle. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yes. He came out as a tackle. He was the last first-round pick made by the Seattle Seahawks. James Car- I would have guessed Richard Sherman, because that was the 2011. He was drafted in 2011 as well. Yeah, but he was drafted in the third round. That's true. Third-round pick. Third-round pick. Uh, so, Adam, you did hit the nail on the head with this one. I do have the uh, the Ravens going for a uh, linebacker. I had them going for Oklahoma linebacker Kenneth Murray. And what I saw with him, he is fast. And that is what I loved to see. His playmaking speed was unreal. He is decisive and he's willing to take chances. He sees a hole. He goes for it. He fires into those gaps, and he can. He is a run stuffer to the max. He is also pretty good in pass coverage as well. He can offer every phase that you want as a linebacker. He can act as a spy. He can blitz. He can go in in a rush. He can do what he needs to do in order to make plays, and he has a absolutely outstanding football IQ. And when we're talking about these defensive players, they got to be smart, and Kenneth Murray is smart. He is a very, very smart football player. There are not a lot of holes with him that I truly saw. I, I was actually very surprised that I had Kenneth Murray falling this far. I don't think he does fall this far, but because for me, I think Kenneth Murray has perennial pro bowler written all over him. If you don't know who Kenneth Murray is, Go have a look and go look at Kenneth Murray. Look at his game tape from Oklahoma. It is a sight to behold for anybody who loves defensive football because this is a football player. He is a tackling machine. He is rangy. He can play at any spot you want at linebacker. He can play inside. He can play outside. This is a this is a football player that the Baltimore Ravens absolutely love and he is going to fit in so nicely on that defense in a linebacking room that is a little depleted after free agency he is going to come in he's going to give the Ravens a little bit of young blood on that defense and like I said before I believe that Kenneth Murray is a perennial pro bowler at the linebacker position I truly 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 think that this is a special special prospect and the Ravens are getting a steal at number 28 if he falls this far well the interesting thing about inside linebackers you're talking about intelligence here they're the quarterbacks of the defense i mean how many times have people said have we said the inside linebackers are the quarterbacks of the defense they're the guys that are calling at the plays in the huddle there's to they need to have that sort of intelligence more intelligence than you would see from any other a defensive lineman or a corner or or safety because they it's it's a more cerebral position when you're talking about inside linebackers so to have somebody like a uh, like a Kenneth Murray there 
he can be the replacement for C.J. Mosley that the Ravens could be looking for. You know, and that, have been looking for, correct? Yeah, right, exactly. All right, moving on to number 29, the Tennessee Titans. I have them picking Yator Gross Matos. This is the a player that the Cowboys were actually ru- are rumored to be looking at. Please, God, no. Yeah, that would be kind of that'd be a weird pick, kind of an off-board sort of pick. You know, you already have an edge rusher. So well, they'd they'd put him where Robert Quinn was, but I don't. If if they trade back and they would take him, I'd be okay with it. But if they take him at seventeen, oh moron! You know that would be some problems. But for Tennessee, but uh, going back to Tennessee here, uh, edge rusher is definitely a need for them. This is a team that I think that well, they think that they're pretty close because they they got to the AFC Championship game last year. And an edge rusher is really the key to having a successful football team. You, you saw that with our defending Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. I don't think that they are where they are with that Patrick Mahomes, as well as Chris Jones on the defensive front. So I think that Yutur uh, Grosmatos is the, is the pick for the Tennessee Titans in a very, very deep defensive line or defensive end slash edge rusher class i like that i like that pick adam i think this is another pick though where the titans if they decide that they want to go uh with best available player they can uh the best available player for me uh right now in this spot for the titans is linebacker zach bond out of wisconsin uh on film i liked what i saw from him in certain spots he's a tackling machine He's got dangerous bursts, which I love to see that. He's got quick hands, which, again, when you're talking about a potential edge rusher, which we'll get to in a minute, that is, of course, what we're really looking for. This is where I have my issue with Zach Bond, is if he is an edge rusher, he's only coming in at 6'2", 238, with about 32 and a quarter inch, three quarters inch arms. That's not good enough for an edge rusher. He will get babied by some of these bigger offensive linemen, namely these tackles, if he's going to be an edge rusher. It's going to be interesting when he's picked, because I do believe he's a first-round pick. I'm not saying that he's not. But it's going to be interesting to see when he is announced what exactly he is announced as. If he's announced as a linebacker, I would have more faith and confidence in Zach Bond potentially becoming a very, very solid football player in the National Football League. But if he's announced as an edge rusher, I will definitely be concerned because he definitely lacks that size that you need to be a very effective edge rusher at this level. So that is something that I am definitely on the lookout for with Zach Bond. I think the Titans would be smart enough to use him at linebacker, just because Mike Vrabel, defensive guy, I think he would know that Zach Bond is a little small to be playing as a hand-in-the-dirt edge rusher. So I think if you were to plug him in at linebacker, you have a very solid starter here. But if you plug him in at edge rusher, he's a very boomer bust prospect for me. Well, Mike Vrabel did play linebacker when he was in the NFL. So Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He was, this is why I think it's a very good spot for Zach Bond because I think he is with a guy 
in Mike Vrabel that would know what to do with him. He would be, he would be one to know. Kind of like Joe Douglas, who played uh, often on the offensive line when he was when he played football. So correct same sort of thing. Correct. At number thirty, I have the Green Bay Packers picking T. Higgins, a the wide receiver from Clemson. The slide for T. Higgins slides to a halt at number thirty. I see what you did there. That was very, very clever there, Mr. Caster. Well done. I tried. Occasionally. And this is a pick that, you know, I wouldn't say that there's necessarily a hole for wide receiver in in Green Bay. But somebody to compliment Devontae Adams, much like uh, Brandon Ayuk would for the Minnesota Vikings, take some pressure off of the undisputed number one target and kind of open up the offense for Aaron Rodgers. And T. Higgins is a great, is a solid, is a great wide receiver. He was, I mean, Bird has him going uh, a lot er- earlier than I do. So this is the kind of player that can really be a difference maker if he's drafted by the Green Bay Packers and really improve that offense and make it a very and make uh, the Packers a very formidable offense going forward. The Packers need a receiver. Yep. So it makes it makes a lot of sense. But except except yes, um, I might take a little heat for this, but just hear me out. When Brett Favre was nearing the end of his illustrious career, the Green Bay Packers took a chance on a kid from Cal, and look at where he is. He sat on the bench behind Brett Favre for a few years, and now people are calling him potentially one of the most talented, if not the most talented quarterback to have ever played the game. This is where I think the Packers go and get their Aaron Rodgers insurance plan, and I think this is where the slide for Jordan Love ends. Now, there is a lot to break down with Jordan Love because when I watched Jordan Love on film, there were three phases of Jordan Love. There was the 2017 Jordan Love where I was saying, wow, this is a very, very, very interesting prospect. There's the 2018 film, which was, okay, he's a good prospect, but maybe not a first-round prospect. Maybe he's like a second-day sort of quarterback. And then there's the 2019 film, which had me saying, why are we putting him in the first round? So basically what I'm doing here is I'm going off of the 2017 film, and I'm going off of the stuff that made me say, wow, that he was able to read the field really well, was able to make the throws, his deep ball accuracy was on point, and he's got that confidence as well. The 2017 film, what I really saw out of him then, was he had the confidence to make every throw. And I was saying to myself, wow, this is good stuff. But then... I went and I watched the 2018-2019 film, and I just I didn't see that. So I think it's – when I try to dissect Jordan Love, I really don't know what the what it is. 
Is it a consistency issue? Is it a confidence issue? Was he playing with a lack of talent? I, I'm I'm not exactly sure what my issue with Jordan Love is. But when I watched the 2019 film, and I, I, I honest to God, I watched his 2019 film. I watched Jacob Eason's 2019 film, and I watched Jake Fromm's 2019 film. And it was more—it's—it's it's more than just numbers when you're watching film. It's more about technique. It's more about confidence. More about poise. It's more about reading what the quarterback is seeing and trying to figure out, getting in their heads and trying to figure, out, okay, what's their thought process like, right? When I watched those three pretty much back to back to back, I thought I saw more out of Jacob Eason out of Washington and Jake Fromm out of Georgia than I did from. Jordan Love. So we're talking about Jordan Love being a first-round guy, which many people believe. Many people believe that Jordan Love could – you could be talking about Jordan Love going somewhere in the 15 to 25 range is what I've heard basically as of – we're recording this at 1137. I reached out to someone at 5 o'clock today, and there are teams talking about him going in the middle of the first round. And I, I almost threw my thumb. Because I was just like, I, I don't know what I see that makes him worth such a high grade. I, I, I really, really don't. Here's my question, Bird. You know, you were talking about how you watched his 2017 and his 2018 film and he looked great. Correct. Well, 2017 was great. 2018 was good. 2019 was not so good. But yes. So then what, what what's going on? What happened? I, you know, Adam, I was asking myself that same question and I, I really don't know. His decision-making took a huge dive. He was trying to do things on his own. I, I Honestly, I really think that it came down to was that Jordan Love from 2017 to 2019, there was just a huge dip in terms of the guys that he was playing with, potentially, and he tried to do too much. He was overthinking things, and he was trying to make the play, not a play. And that was a big, big difference from 2017 to 2019. And Jordan Love really favored bigger receivers. He really wasn't a fan of those small slot receivers, but he's going to have to learn to become a fan of those in the National Football League because a slot receiver is such a vital part of any team's offense now. So I really think it could have been just coming down to the level that he was playing with that maybe he was just a bit better than all of them and he just tried to do too much. But it's still, it's still for me, it's just not an excuse as to why we're talking about not just one year of really being downgraded, but two years of being downgraded. Where I'm sitting here, I'm saying to myself, it's one thing if we're talking from one year to the next of him not having the most impressive game film. Then I would say, all right, he had a down year, it's okay. But we're talking two years of regression. Two years from 2017 to 2018, from 2018 to 2019 of regression from a quarterback. And that is the problem that I have. There are people that I have heard that have said that he can be a level of a Blake Bortles when he was in college, when he was drafted in the top five. And then I've heard that there are people that are talking about with his athletic ability that he could be a Colin Kaepernick-like quarterback. I don't see any of that, not even close with Jordan Love. I don't know who I think Jordan Love is. I don't have a proper comparison for him because I don't know what kind of quarterback he is. I've been studying him probably more than any other prospect 
for the last two and a half, three months, and I still don't know who he is. And we're two days from the draft. I still, I still don't know. Well, the thing about that is just, I don't know. It, there's got to be There's got to be it's something. worrying. Well, yeah, it is worrying because you have a, a prospect that really is just, I don't know. He's just average. He's just like a guy. Yeah, that that's it. I think he's a guy. There are a lot of guys in the NFL, but yeah, you don't draft like you don't just draft a guy in the first round, especially a quarterback. Correct. And 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 anybody who knows me knows how much I love Jake Fromm. I I would take Jake Fromm over Jordan Love. I'm sorry. I I, I would. I would agree with you. Honestly, I don't see the hype. I mean, this could end up being this could end up definitely biting it. This podcast could end up aging horribly in a couple of years when Jordan Love ends up being the best thing since sliced bread. But as far as yeah. we're concerned right now, I don't know. I got to be skeptical. Anybody who's listening to this podcast that has uh, a high football acumen like Adam and I do, uh, if you want to uh, hit me up on the Instagram at Eddie the Big Bird or uh, on Twitter at Eddie the Big Bird as well. Uh, you can let me know. You can hit, hit me up in my DMs, and you can let me know what you think about uh, Jordan Love as a quarterback because, uh, honestly, I'm looking for an answer because I, I I don't know. Right. Well, let's move on because we have our final two picks of this, dra- of this mock draft. And at number 31, I have the San Francisco 49ers picking A.J. Terrell, cornerback from Clemson. This is the kind of player... That could fit really well opposite of Richard Sherman. And frankly, this is, I wouldn't say it's like a missing piece for their defense, but it's just one thing that could make Robert Sala's defense better. And plus, I thought <laughs> I was going to say something else, but I was like, yeah, no, I I don't know where I'm going with this. So I'll just leave it. I'll just uh, throw it over to you, Bird. So I have the San Francisco 49ers going with Jeff Gladney, the corner out of TCU, Texas Christian University. Uh, 5'10", 191-pound corner. What interested me about Jeff Gladney is he's really in the business of really using his hands and his overall strength to try and throw the receiver off of his route. I think that was excellent what I I saw with him uh, when I looked at him over. His football IQ and his overall urgency and his overall football instincts are very, very top-notch. I thought that he made some very smart decisions on certain throws that I saw when it came down to pass coverage. I thought that he he really knew what was coming in terms of what routes were coming. And he, he knew and he had that instinct and he had that overall awareness to really figure that out. And I think that that is very very good coming from a corner where let's face it he came from a conference in college where in the big 12 they bled points that's what they did that's what the big 12 is known for so that he was able to go ahead and really show that ability as a defensive prospect especially as a member of a secondary is really right on to him he also, what he does well and why I think he's such a good fit for the San Francisco 49ers who need a corner is what he can do as a blitzer. Now, Rob Sala is 
very, very good at mixing things up, coming up, coming up with intricate plays and different looks to throw the offenses off balance, especially those offensive lines. And Jeff Gladney, when he was in college, really was utilized with those safety blitz, with those, excuse me, with those corner blitzes a whole hell of a lot. And he could be a little secret weapon that Rob Sala does get to utilize in San Francisco. We all know him and we all know how different and how and how unorthodox, I guess the word is, that Rob Sala can be. And with Jeff Gladney, he can continue to ride that, but in a completely different way, where now we're talking about Rob Sala definitely having just another weapon that he can really properly utilize with that San Francisco 49ers defense. So Jeff Gladney, I think, is a very interesting pick. The problem with him that I saw is he had issues dealing with bigger, stronger receivers because he is a bit undersized for a corner. But you put him in the NFC West, you're not really dealing with ginormous receivers. Of course, you have DK Metcalf and you have now DeAndre Hopkins. But outside of that... I was that, just about to say, I'm like, well, you know, there are two very, very large exceptions to this yes, rule. Yes, there are two very large excep- exceptions to this. But outside of those guys... Christian Kirk, yeah, he's a bigger receiver, sure, but he's not really someone that blows you away with his overall size, right? Same thing with Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett is not a bigger receiver either. So, you know, we're talking about two very good receivers, but not two of the bigger receivers. So if Jeff Gladney can really bulk up a little bit, we could see him potentially being one of the top corners in this class, and it really would not surprise me. I do like him a lot. I know some people that do not like him as much and have him as low as a third or a fourth round grade, and I'll call them out in this podcast, and I'll say it, they are crazy. Because what I saw on film with Jeff Gladney, he can be a very, very, very good starter in the National Football League, potentially a Pro Bowl corner as well. Well, that is, that's bold. Well, especially calling people out on the podcast for uh, how they grade they know prospects. who prospects. They know who they are. I'm sure they do. No need to uh, really be specific on that. So nope. Yeah, I plead the fifth. So we've reached the the end of our mock draft. Pick thirty two, the Kansas City Chiefs, the defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs, and I think Bird. You'll probably think that this pick is kind of out there, but the Kansas City Chiefs with this position that they have they already have kind of an answer there but you know Andy Reid likes to use multiple players at this position in the offense and there have been rumors that this particular player could be going in the back end of the first round and that player is DeAndre Swift the running back from Georgia and this is a kind of player that can really pair well with Damian Williams in Andy Reid's backfield and going all the way back to LaShawn McCoy and Darren Sproles in Philadelphia. Uh, LaShawn McCoy and Damian Williams that took them all the way to Miami to win the Super Bowl against the 49ers. Andy Reid loves his running back tandems. He loves his running back tandems. And this is the kind of player that can really be a great compliment to Damian Williams here. And think of like, think of the pedigree here. Running backs from Georgia, Todd Gurley, Nick Chubb, Sonny Michelle, 
this is DeAndre Swift. Uh, the the past of Georgia running backs, the alumni of Georgia running backs, have really proven that DeAndre Swift will be a solid pick for the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, not to put too much on his shoulders here, but I think it's he's going to be a great pick for Kansas City in the back end of the first round. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. I think DeAndre Swift, for me, he is the highest graded uh, running back in this class. I know that a lot of people want to talk about Jonathan Taylor. I know that Jonathan Taylor is a a very explosive, very good running back. But I believe what I saw on film with DeAndre Swift, DeAndre Swift blew me away. I mean, I knew about DeAndre Swift, of course, playing at Georgia. It was on national television pretty much every single week. But he blew me away when I really looked at him on a, on a very you know microscopic level versus Jonathan Taylor. And Adam, I like that pick a whole lot uh, with uh, DeAndre Swift going to the Kansas City Chiefs. Outside the box, yes. But a very good pick, absolutely very, very good pick, and a very good one to uh, close out your uh, your mock draft, my friend. Um, so I have the Kansas City Chiefs going in a different direction. I have them continuing to beef up their offensive line, and I have them going for Cesar Ruiz out of the University of Michigan. I am going to go to the bathroom after this podcast and rinse my mouth out with soap, considering I just said that nasty, nasty school's name. But... Cesar Ruiz, what do we what do we know about him? Well, there are a bunch of people that are calling him a top-tier center prospect. This is where it gets interesting because Ruiz has been talked about potentially going as high as number 17 overall to the Dallas Cowboys. And, of course, Jerry Jones is not afraid to draft outside the box. We have seen him do it before namely with taking Jalen Smith when he was coming off of that terrible uh, knee injury that he suffered in the Fiesta Bowl on his, in his final college game, and when he did it with, of course, Travis Frederick out of the University of Wisconsin, the center who became an all-pro, who many people had a third or a fourth-round grade on him. Cesar Ruiz is not that. There are people that are saying that he is a first-round talent all the way, but plays a position that may only be valued at a second-round level. So, with me, Ruiz is a pick for the Chiefs to continue to beef up that offensive line that has gotten better and better. You put him on a line with Eric Fisher, who's continued to gradually improve, and, of course, Mitchell Schwartz, who's become, quietly, one of the best right tackles in the National Football League over the course of the last few seasons. So, Ruiz would give them a really good anchor on that offensive line, and I think that this is a fantastic pick for the Kansas City Chiefs if they can go ahead and get it. And that offensive line just continues to get stronger as that as this team looks to try and repeat for a Super Bowl. So that is my pick, Cesar Ruiz. I have him going to the Kansas City Chiefs. As the rich get richer. As the rich get richer, correct. All right, so before we completely sign off here, Bird, you have a little some programming notes for us. It's going to be a packed schedule for the podcast, so let's inform our viewers as to what's going down. Yes, sir, Mr. Caster. Aye, aye. So we are going to be recording a uh, Bold Prediction podcast tomorrow. I'm going to be bringing on a very special guest, so uh, definitely look out for that in your inboxes on Thursday morning. This podcast 
will be in your inbox uh, on Wednesday. We're recording this, of course, Tuesday night. Then we have, of course, the draft on Thursday. Then Friday, we'll be doing a podcast straight away where, hint, hint, someone from the original crew will be back. So definitely be on the lookout for that. We'll be reviewing the first round, be talking about all the surprises, giving out grades, things like that. And then, of course, next week, we'll wrap up the draft, talk about all the best picks, all the worst picks, things like that. And then it'll be back to normal schedule where we'll be fishing for content in every way imaginable. Yep. All until sports comes back. All until sports come back. Please, sports, come back soon. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Basement Talk podcast. You can find all previous episodes of the Basement Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. The name is just the Basement Talk podcast. Please listen to all of them and leave a five-star review. We will see you on, well, I will see you on Friday for the first round recap show. And Bird will see you on Thursday for his bold prediction show. And for my co-host, Ed Birdsall, I'm Adam Castor, and we will talk to you later on the Basement Talk podcast. Mm, Bye-bye.